Welcome to Life to the Full, a message to Christians. This is a podcast about the abundant life that God promises in Scripture. We want to inspire those who are frustrated with themselves and their communities to live a transformed life that will impact the world. Our primary purpose is to be a platform that will impact the world through conversation. We want to invite others to connect and unite in curiosity, vulnerability, and responsibility. A transformed life is about growth, learning, and evolving. A transformed life leads to transformed communities, and transformed communities impact the world. One conversation at a time. Welcome, welcome everyone to our summer of scripture. I am riding without my tech girl. She is currently on the road somewhere. So the technology will not be as smooth uh, as it otherwise is. Uh, I was I was considering coming today with like, I don't know, like a big bottle of vodka or something and doing like summer of scripture unplugged, you know, uh, Jimmy on his own edition. But I figured I would I would probably still get in trouble for that. So I'm not going to do that. Uh, so we have a very special person with us today. We have Dave The Rock Salazar, who is here. <laughs> we made it all the way back from the city. I, I, all the way back. I'm very impressed that you did that. Uh, so yeah, a lot of people had some things today, buddy. So it looks like it's going to be me and you. The two amigos. So, the, the two, the dos amigos. I don't know if you guys can hear my my barking dog in the background. Uh, but yeah, yeah, she knows I'm here and she's freaking out. So hopefully she calms down. Otherwise, I'm going to do my best to ignore it. David, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. Running around a little bit, but I managed to make it in. Cool. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. I was, I was actually going to say you're still in the city, but now it looks like you're uh, you're home. Yep, my son's messy room oh. behind me. Broadcast oh, wow. to the world. Well, you know, it's, it's better than my room as a kid, i got to say. <laughs> you can see the wall. That's like, that's something. Yeah, right. <laughs> not, not like a pile of laundry or, I don't know, Legos or something, whatever Whatever I had. Uh, uh, okay. yeah. He's a little too old for Legos, I think. You're never too old for Legos. That's a myth. That's what I thought. <laughs> Oh, man. So if you are just joining us, I know a few people uh, are going to be joining us today uh, via the YouTube and all that fun stuff. And let me see. I'm not doing something right here with my screen share, so I'm going to do that again. Let's see. Patty always makes this look like so easy. Let's see. Okay, I might just go for it. Let's see what this is. Why not? Ah, I did it. Yay me. All right. So if you are just joining us in the YouTube or the Facebook uh, or the internet, wherever this is streaming right now, uh, welcome. This is our summer of scripture. Uh, We're doing these every Sunday in um, the summer of 2021. Our theme this year, this is the first time we're doing it is a summer of Saul, otherwise known as the Apostle 
Paul. So we've been getting together, getting to know him a little bit better. And we are in, we're really just beginning our deep dive into the book of Ephesians, where we're barely out of chapter one. So hopefully we'll get out of chapter one today uh, and we'll, we'll make headway. If you've been following along with us, we've been doing a summer reading program. Uh, here's our summer reading uh, as we've done so far. We had Paul, a biography. That one we kind of just flew through. That was just kind of get to get an overall sense of N.T. Wright and his writing style and his approach to Paul. It's very, very helpful. It uh, clears a lot of things up and just good to kind of just go through it uh, as quick as you can in one sitting. Uh, the other book that we're doing is How God Became King. And that one we're taking much more slowly as we go through it. We only had two chapters, fairly small chapters that we did for last week's reading. Uh, just such a super helpful book, super awesome. N.T. Wright, Rare Bird, he is both a great biblical scholar and a, a really good writer. I think he's a great writer. And uh, we also recommend a commentary by him, Paul, the Prison Letters, of which Ephesians falls into. Uh, so if you got that, just, you know, you can be reading that every day, uh, just part of your daily devotional or, you know, your time that you spend reading. Uh, we also have our scripture journals. So hopefully you have that and you are doing some cool note-taking in it, uh, especially with the big chiasm that we talked about when we kicked off our Ephesians deep dive. That's a good opportunity to get in and just start marking things up. Uh, things begin to pop and you'll be able to see it better. I always recommend using like colored pencils because my handwriting is terrible. But if your handwriting is amazing, go for it. Use pen. There's always white out. All right. And once again, we also have a Patreon. If you'd like to support us, we appreciate it. It uh, helps us do more amazing things like this. All right. So we're getting into our Ephesians. We're in the middle of our deep dive, really, uh, really just in the middle of the first opening poem in chapter one. We kind of did an overview of Ephesians and we've been, getting, we've been getting into it. So some stuff that we've done so far, we've gone through uh, the macro of Ephesians, which has been fun. Uh, we just kind of looked at that chiasm that we were talking about with Ephesians 1 through 3. Uh, we're going to be looking uh, at 4 through 6 as we're, you know, exiting our deep dive of Ephesians. Uh, we talked about last week that, you know, a lot of people come to Christianity thinking and come to the Bible thinking that this is Jesus's worldview. This is Paul's worldview. Uh, we just assume that this they're, we're, they're tracking with us as well. Uh, you know, there's us on earth, uh, depending on what we do, how we live, what we believe. We're either going to go to the good place or the bad place, the good place being heaven and the bad place being hell. And of course, our Catholic friends, like, you know, they kind of added the whole elevator. That's that's kind of little elevator drawing I have over in the corner that can take you up. <laughs> you know, that that's kind of symbolizes purgatory. If you weren't like that bad, you know, people will say at least th there's purgatory. Uh, this is actually more like uh, Paul's worldview, what Paul had in mind uh, while he was, you know, writing the things he was writing, uh, while he was living the things that he was doing, his experiences teaching churches. Uh, and you really can see it when you learn to decode it. And we will be getting more into that uh, fairly soon. So that'll be that'll be fun. All right. We are going to be taking a closer look at blessing and election because uh, I felt like we kind of we kind of ran through it last week, so we're going to be looking at it a little bit more closely. So blessing, 
tracing the blessing. So blessing does seem to be important uh, in the opening poem uh, that is talking about that we talked about last week, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, right? Paul mentions it right off the bat three times. So you can look, I can look at my handy ESV scripture journal right here, and we can just read it together to refresh our memory. Blessed, that's one, be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, that's two, in Christ with every spiritual blessing, that's three, in the heavenly places. So this seems to be something that, that's very important to Paul. Uh, he mentioned it a lot. So we're going to do a little bit of work. We're going to trace some of the blessings because I, I think it's kind of uh, it's, it's kind of a good practice. My goal with all this, uh, if you've been following along with Paul, uh, when I started, when I first started learning to read Paul this way, uh, it, it, it was at first very frustrating because, you know, how do I preach? How do I, how do I teach anything out of Paul? I was used to kind of just taking a phrase here or there, constructing a message. Here's my point. I wonder if Paul has anything to say that backs up my point. I'd go in, I'd kind of find all my points. Uh, but once I really started learning how to read Paul, I was like, wow, you just really can't do that anymore. Uh, you not only have to kind of have the whole letter in your head as you go through and you, you teach some of this stuff, but you kind of have to have the whole Hebrew Bible in your head as well, too, a lot of times, because that's what Paul had as well. So we're going to go real quick. We're going to read these off uh, nice and fast so you can follow along if you would like in your own Bible. Uh, but let's trace the blessing. This is kind of just tracing the biblical story of blessing. Let's see if this is a valuable exercise. Obviously, since I created a slide for it, I think it is. So in Genesis 1, 28. It said, God blessed them and God sent to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God's original blessing to humanity, right? To two people whose names are literally human, Adam and life, Eve, right? Human life. So God gives them that initial blessing. He tells them to go uh, and fill the world, you know, subdue it. And, you know, we all know what happens, right? They end up disobeying God. They get exiled from the garden. They get into a realm of death, right, after leaving the garden. Uh, and things get bad. They do fill the earth all right, but they end up filling it with violence. And they do subdue the earth, but they subdue it with bloodshed. And, you know, just it's just bad things all around. And then where it kind of culminates with the flood, and then again, with the Tower of Babel, but from that scattering, as we've been talking about, comes the family of Abraham, right? And in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. This is God talking to, to Abraham, Abraham, and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So if you ever wondered where kind of Paul got this idea of repeating that word blessing and blessing again, again, and again, he got it from the Torah. He got it from the Hebrew scriptures because this is the same type of language. So it's almost as if, you know, the Torah Genesis here is like telling you, listen, you really need to pay attention to this word. <laughs> again, if this was maybe an essay that someone turned in to school, they'd be like, you know, could you use a dictionary? Could you use a thesaurus? Could you get another word besides blessed that will improve your writing? Uh, but they are doing this here to make a point. And then in Genesis 22, verse 17 to 18, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand, which is on the seashore. 
and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So there's this concept in the biblical storyline, right? God initially blessed human beings, right? It didn't go well. They lost the blessing and life got worse and worse and worse and worse. And then finally, God gave that blessing to a single family. And the idea of that family was then to go on and bless all the families of the earth, all the nations. And this is a theme that keeps getting hit again and again and again uh, throughout the scriptures. And um, talking about Israel in Exodus chapter one, right? It says, now the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, they came each with his household. But the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. So again, it doesn't word to use blessing, right? But here it's the actual Eden blessing being fruitful and multiplying, right? Increased, increased greatly and became exceedingly mighty, subduing, right? Ability to subdue things that the land was filled with them. This is talking about the initial problem that the Egyptians had because the Israelites were just too blessed, right? So it's the same blessing language here. And, you know, Israel had its ups and downs, mostly downs, right? Whoever put this stuff together seems to think that the whole history of Israel is a, is a big tragedy. It's a big lost, missed opportunity, right? But this is idea that comes about that from the line of David, this blessing would continue. And we won't look at the second Samuel one. Well, that's a good one. We'll look right in Psalm 72, because a lot of the Psalms kind of like take this idea of David, right? Not you, David, King David, and kind of like, you know, push that out that the blessing is going to go through King David's line and it's going to fulfill Israel's story as well as pass that blessing back into all the nations. And in Psalm 72, it says, may his name endure forever. May his name increase as long as the sun shines and let all nations find blessing in him. They will call him blessed. So again, this theme, God selecting the one to bless them, singling them out, but in so doing that to bless the many. And then finally we get to the book of Acts, right? And it's the same type of thing that's happening, right? You know, the spirit thinking about Paul's apocalypse, like we talked about before, you know, Paul seeing heaven and earth united and seeing the enthroned Jesus reigning over heaven and earth. And that, that wrecked it, that wrecked his mind for a while, right? It messed him up for a little bit. Uh, think about what those silent years must have been in Arabia, right? N.T. Wright kind of traced that for us right in the book uh, where he was just alone, his silent years. He was he was figuring this stuff out. He was figuring out how all this stuff fit, right? And at this, Ephesians is a great way to kind of get into Paul's mind and we can kind of figure out what he was thinking. Uh, so the risen Jesus, exaltation to rule heaven and earth, the gift of the spirit, God's blessing, through Abraham to all the nations, right? Even think about the book of Acts. It goes, you know, first to uh, the Jews, right? And then that will eventually spread out to all the nations, right? So we have this idea of blessing. And then we have this other idea of election and predestination. And this can also cause sometimes all types of funny things with our theology and, and the way we think. But, you know, the good news is, is that, in this case, Paul himself kind of has like a cluster of where a lot of these words come again in one of his other books, and that's the book of Romans, 
where it kind of like, you know, gets spelled out a little bit more. So we'll just go through that really quickly right now. Paul's context, you can turn over to Romans 9 and we'll look at a, a few key verses. Uh, in verses 4 to 5, the Israelites to whom belong adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of Torah and the temple service and the promises to whom belong the patriarchs and from whom comes the Messiah in terms of his ethnic descent. And 6 through 13, God's election of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was predestined according to the choice election, which is according to God's purpose. Romans 11.2, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew or predestined, depending on the translation. Romans 11.5, so now in the present time, there is a remnant according to the choice election of grace. So this kind of tracks with what we've been talking about, right? The story of blessing, the story of election and predestination, right? This is the story of Israel. This is the story of God choosing Israel, choosing the elect people, predestining them. And now Jesus has inherited that blessing. He's inherited that predestination. Uh, and now Jews and Gentiles who believe in Jesus Messiah also inherit that blessing. Romans 8, 28 to 30. So it's just, it's just interesting that, you know, this, this all seems to be tracking with the same, with the th same thing. Um, we'll skip that one for now. So here we see, you know, our old drawing that we had from last week. Uh, I believe we, we broke this out last week and you can kind of see um, this all, it's all here, right? So we have the old story that we think Paul has in his head, God plus me, we sin, right? Because of Jesus, right? And the raising from the dead and the resurrection, I either get to go to heaven or I get to go to hell, depending on where I am. Where God's storyline is a little bit bigger, right? We have humanity, which kind of just trailed off, right? But then from humanity's fall, from humanity's failure, right? God selected one family. That family became a nation. That nation produced a Messiah or a king, right? And who passed that blessing on to all nations. So let's talk about that real quick. So Dave, does that, what do you feel when you, when you see something like that kind of spelled out in terms of blessing, election, and, and predestination? Well, um, no, uh, you and I have been talking about this for, for quite some time now. And, uh, uh, I, I don't, I don't think it's, uh, I, I guess the way that I came to it, uh, was, uh, gradual. So mm -hmm. it wasn't a shock to my system. It wasn't like, uh, Oh, I, I don't understand where's heaven and hell. Where's, where right. am I going to go? You know, where is this going? So it, it's inside. I kind of like, uh, I tiptoed into the water. It didn't, it didn't, it didn't overwhelm me. Um, <laughs> Uh, dealing with some of the some of the people that you know that I that I preach to that I teach, uh, sure. I think it, it changes the perspective in which I'm I'm, I'm teaching them. And uh, when they use terminology like heaven and hell, um, it it makes me pause. It makes me uh, go back and maybe explain it to them perhaps better than it was explained to me. Um, sure. And also uh, the predestination thing, um, when you spell it out like that, it makes it clear exactly who was, who was, yeah, 
predetermined, pre-chosen, instead, instead of the concept that all of us who are God's people who are cho- were pre-selected. Yeah. No, it, it's true. Uh, for me, my my entry into this way of thinking actually wasn't Ephesians. Uh, I feel like it's Romans is actually much more clear when you you know you get past you know Romans seven where people usually park out. Uh, you know Romans six, another place people park out. When you kind of get to the end of the letter, he gets really heavy on you know Israel and, and what that means and how God hasn't abandoned them. Um, so that for me, for me was like, whoa, there's, there's something here I'm missing. Um, but you know, eventually kind of when I, I learned to read Ephesians better, I was like, oh, it's, it's right here. And then, you know, kind of all the other letters opened up, opened up and I was like, oh, it's, it's everywhere. <laughs> you know, this is, this is about Israel. It's about Israel's Messiah, uh, fulfilling Israel's story and passing that blessing onto the nation. So, you know, that, that's good that you've been you know, kind of trying to notice that in the people that, you know, you work with, the people that you lead, um, and to kind of point that out more. How, how's that been going? Uh, there's been some pushback. Oh, yeah? Uh, there's, uh, you know what, uh, sometimes when, when, I'm, when I speak to some people, they, they'll, they'll nod their head and they'll say, oh, I understand. I, I agree with you 100%. And then the next phrase out of their mouth is, or we were pre-selected, or or when we when we die and go to heaven, then it's like, oh, you didn't hear anything, <laughs> anything that we just <laughs> that we just talked about. Uh, right. But uh, you know, sometimes I think that uh, I um, I give grace for that it, terminology because it's terminology that's been so common. It's been something that we've been using some of us for our entire lives, and to, mm. uh, to just change it overnight even if even if uh you understand the concepts even if you agree with with it you're you're still prone to use that kind of terminology so i kind of try to give grace and understand what they're actually coming from instead of the words they've chosen yeah it's very interesting you say that actually i went back and you know because we're from the same church tradition and i looked up uh, a whole bunch of studies that used to be for like you know when you're when you want to get membership into our church tradition, like you kind of like go through these studies, make sure we're all on the pa- same page and stuff. And in the 1995 version, they make it very clear. Like you're in the light, you're going to heaven or you're in the darkness, you go into hell. Uh, but in a lot of the updated versions, it's like, it's kind of just like left like vague. <laughs> it's like salvation, but then they never really like unpack that. So I remember what you were saying last week, like, you know, like, I don't even know where I, where I got this from. It was almost like, it was like in the air, like, you know, like I just assumed, right you now, like I need, I need this cause I need to go to heaven. Yeah. So that's cool, man. No, I appreciate that. And then, uh, so one of the things I wanted to bring up with everybody. So if you've been tracking with the reading, uh, this is a awesome chapter for me. Um, this one it's called inadequate answers. It's chapter three and he kind of goes through a whole list right? He's basically, you know, he makes, he makes a case that most people focus when they go into the gospels on his, on his birth, right? They, they'll talk about like that a lot. They'll bring that up maybe once a year during Christmas time. Let's talk about Jesus's birth. Uh, and then they'll talk about the end, right? But then there's, there's this middle bit in the gospels that kind of get ignored and people don't really necessarily know what to do with it. 
And here's like kind of his list of the things that, you know, he says people across church history have kind of made it about. Um, and, you know, to him, these are inadequate answers. So let's going to heaven or, you know, Jesus's ethical teaching, Jesus, the moral example, Jesus, the perfect sacrifice stories we can identify with, you know, you kind of get, gather around, you're like, oh yeah, we, you know, Jesus is just like a regular guy like us. Or, you know, Peter, you know, Peter is the one that people are always like, oh, he's like, uh, he's just like me. He's always putting his foot in his mouth. He's always like doing all these ridiculous things. Where really when you actually get to a point where like you're fluent-ish in the Hebrew scriptures, you're like, wow, even the mistakes Peter are making are really, really smart mistakes. <laughs> like he's, he's no like slouch when it comes to biblical theology and biblical thinking um, or proving G- Jesus's divinity. And the thing I love about this chapter is, you know, I remember going through it even the first time and just every single one of those points, like just, just hitting me like, Ooh, Ooh, you know, it's like to some things I was kind of like past, but then there were other things where still I'm like, but, but isn't it, isn't that what the gospel is for? And, you know, Wright's answer would be like, no, what the, what the four gospels are trying to say is this is the story, how God became King, the title of his book, you know, and how that's relevant for today, you know? Uh, So I wanted to bring that up. So did any of these answers surprise you as being like, oh, that's not what the gospel is about. That's not what the gospel's for. Um, What do you think, Dave? Uh, No, I was, I wasn't surprised by any of it. Um, Again, it's, it's, uh, I guess if you would have asked me a year ago. Sure. I think I would have I would have been more shocked, mm-hmm. uh, but as uh, you know, having going have been having going been been involved in this in this uh, in this process, uh, right. reading you know listen I have li- I did, again I always say that I listened to the book I didn't I didn't read mm. the, the book. So good. Uh, it, uh, it his argument anti right is you know he he's so. His argument is so well uh, spelled out mm. uh, that it, it's it's hard to it's hard to argue with, uh, and it's hard and it's not just hard to argue with, but it's it makes it digestible and easy easier to understand, um, especially if if you come in with an open mind. If you don't, if you're not, you know, come in with the I know what the scriptures say, I know what the gospels are about, and I know what they're trying to tell me. Uh, you can can listen or or read and you write and, and not be shocked really yeah it's funny i gave a i gave a friend one of the uh these nt write books you know it was a uh, surprised by hope which is another great one that one was almost the book for this class but then i was like ah oh, that's another really big dense long book i don't want to you know suggest two big books for the summer uh but it, the the complaint i got from my friend with that book is like, Oh, there, I felt like there weren't enough scriptures. I thought there'd be more scriptures. And I was like, Oh, wow. Like, you know, like the scriptures, like all over the place. Like, you know, he does his little like index in the back. He doesn't necessarily like give you, you know, scripture, verse, scripture, verse, scripture, verses going through the whole thing. Right. So, but so it's interesting to me that you say that his argument is just so good. Cause I would agree with you. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, it's interesting. What about you think the people, some of the people in your context, uh, 
Uh, do you, you think you'd get some resistance if you're like, if you came in next time you were with them? Hey guys, by the way, everything you thought the gospel is about, it's not. It's about this weird thing about God becoming king. All right, see you later. <laughs> I think I would get resistance if I came in. <laughs> if I came in with those exact words, I think, yeah. I think I would get, uh, I think any of us would get resistance uh, if we came in with those, uh, with that kind of uh, terminology. But it's um, true. You know, it's uh, it's more uh, my uh, technique or or just the way that I that I deal with it is uh, I I try to meet people where they're at and uh, and it, you're wrong I, I try not to say or, or you don't know what you're talking about you're wrong mm. uh, you know I I try to come in uh, with a humble heart and and start off the conversation as look I, i'm not saying i have all the answers i'm not saying uh that i'm the guy that i figured it all out or that just one other person whether it's nt Wright or anyone else has has nailed it perfectly um but this is a different way to look at it let's look at it together let's see um let's have this conversation because i think the conversation is part of what being a christian is supposed to be about yeah yeah, I, I think so too. And again, we talked about that when we talked about, you know, Paul's context, uh, you know, our intro to Paul of like these, these groups like Ecclesia, you know, like a, in the true sense of the word of what, what they actually were, you know, people, you know, feeling free to argue about this stuff. I think argue is like a bad word to just like discuss it. But like, you know, sometimes when you discuss stuff, you get a little heated, you know, and that's, mm-hmm. I think that's okay too. Like knowing that, you know, it's not personal. We're just, we're trying to get at the stuff we agree all agree this stuff is important so let's let's talk about it it's like you know like with any family um you know i would love if with my wife everything we always talked about was about how amazing i am how amazing she is how amazing we are together uh, but that's not a real marriage right it's not a real relationship sometimes you have to you have to get into some things you have mm-hmm. to you have to actually i have i have my way of looking at things which you know is my way, you know, she has her way. And then sometimes you have to kind of like, we got to figure out. And sometimes that takes me being, you know, I mean, just the other day we, we were getting to like a really passionate uh, discussion about something. And at a certain point I was like, why do I always do this? She, she's smarter than me in this area. Like, you know, like I was so like, no, like, you know, uh, I came across like really like hard, like, no, we're, we're, we're doing it the way I want to do it. And at a certain I sat back and I'm like, yeah, you know, um, yeah, she she's right. <laughs> and then it took like you know another fifteen minutes just just you know getting her to understand that no, I actually really thought that she was she was right. <laughs> oh yeah, I, um, you you know, uh, my wife she's uh, she's Puerto Rican, uh, and <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> I think sometimes she wants to fight. So uh, uh, and and when I say, oh, uh, you're right. She's just staring at me like, no, that's not enough. I, I, I still need to argue my point. And I said, but I said you were right. I, I, I'm agreeing with you. Yep. But, yep. you know, these Latin women. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's true. It's true statement. True statement right there. So awesome. Cool. Yeah. So I think, I think this, is, this is fun. I think N.T. Wright, too, as well, is he's approachable enough. And it, it's so funny that, you know, N.T. Wright is almost like 
you know, everyone loves him. Everyone who's kind of like doing these type of things. Uh, I think there is a, there's a irresponsible way to do some of the stuff that we're doing. And I think some people are, are doing that and everyone is like, you know, like he, he's almost like the darling of people who are like rethinking their Bibles and, and rethinking this mm-hmm. stuff. But he's like a super conservative, like former bishop. You know, I, I don't know if you can ever like retire from being a bishop, uh, you know, but, this, you know, he, he believes in things that are very, very like traditional that we would kind of be like, I don't, I don't, you know, make Protestants a little twitchy, you know, you could yeah. say, you know, or make, make us be like, oh, I don't, you know, some stuff about Mary and, and other stuff. But it's like, you know, for the most part that, you know, there's no one really doing anything like he's doing when it comes to like really making this approachable for people. So highly recommend this book. Maybe not this book. Start with another one uh, to study with your groups and your context. I think your people can get a lot out of it. And, you know, like, you know, like we talked about in the beginning, how to read a book, you know, giving yourself permission to disagree with an author. I think that's fun too. And I think you can learn a lot. Uh, you know, one of the counsels or the advice and how to read a book is before you decide that the author is dumb, you need to read his entire argument. You need to make sure you understand his argument. And then if you've read it and you understand, then you can say, okay, this guy has no idea what he's talking about. And I think, you know, in that process, I think a lot of people would learn a lot of stuff. You know, I think it's it's really great. All right. So we are going to move on to some key phrases and ideas of Ephesians 3, verse 13 to 14, uh, just things that we want to make sure that we unpack as we hit it. Uh, again, remember this this opening, it's an opening song to the Father, Son, and the Spirit. It's poetry. And one of the things that we have to always do when we read poetry, I know whenever I get to like poetry, especially when it makes it more apparent, like in the Psalms, I want to just get through it quickly. I don't know why. But poetry is meant to like be taken slowly. The stuff is meant to be unpacked. And let's see if there's some things that we can get out of this, which I think is, is really, really cool. The first one is, you know, for sonship and adoption. And this would be good to either look at your, <clears throat> your logical sentence diagram of this, or you can follow along. This would be... Uh, in verse five, predestined us for adoption, sonship. And this is something, again, you know, you can easily unpack. You can, you can go back to Adam, you know, Adam being called, you know, like a, a son of God in Genesis, Genesis 1, 26, 28, you know, there was Cain and Abel and that didn't go so well. Right. And then you had Seth and Seth was kind of like in, in his likeness, like Adam. Right. So kind of continue the line there. You have the, the the concept in the Bible as of subversion, subversion as adoption. So God not choosing to bless the, you know, the oldest child, like almost like, you know, you would think that in almost any uh, civilization in the history of mankind, right. You know, you're going to give, you're going to pass on, you know, in terms of like, think of royalty, right. You wouldn't give the newborn or the youngest one of your kids. You wouldn't pass the crown on to him. You'd pass it on to the older one. Uh, that's kind of the way, you know, it's been since the dawn of time. God doesn't seem to like to do that, right? He seem, he likes to seem to call the youngest son. So we kind of listed off here some some younger sons, right? Abel, Seth, Shem, Abraham, right? Abram, Isaac, Jacob, right? Joseph. And, you know, with Joseph, 
uh, the way, you know, when Jacob was passing his blessings, right, instead of blessing the older child, giving the better blessing to the older child, he gave the better blessing to the younger child. And, it, you know, the scriptures say it made made Joseph angry. He was like, no, father, you know, he, he figured maybe he was old. He was confused. And and Jacob's kind of like, no, I, I, I did what I, I did. Uh, you know, and Judah, Judah wasn't the oldest child, right? He wasn't the youngest necessarily either. Uh, but, you know, the blessing was passed on through Judah. Uh, if you go to Exodus, Exodus 4, 22 to 23, say to Pharaoh, thus says Yahweh, Israel is my son, my firstborn. Let my son go that he may serve me. So God calling Israel his son, not only just, you know, but his firstborn son, right? Uh, David's seed, right? You go to Psalm 89, 20 to 29. I have found David my servant. I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the land, and I will establish his seed forever and his throne as the days of the heavens. So this idea, you know, that the prophets began to take on and the Psalms take on, that, you know, when they talked about this future hope of the where the blessing would come from, and they just, they kind of just say, David, <laughs> it's going to be through David, David's seed, or sometimes just like, they just call him David. Like I just got finished with the book uh, of Ezekiel and Ezekiel is kind of just like, it's David, David's coming, you know? Uh, but this is kind of the language that we're talking here. Paul describes Israel as the adopted ones, right? So when you think about this, you know, Oh, predestined us for sonship adoption. A lot of times we can think, oh, he's talking about me. You know, I'm a Christian. I'm, I've been a son. I'm adopted. But no, primarily he's talking about Israel, right? We haven't gotten to us yet. Us comes later in the chapter. Um, you know, in Ephesians, predestined for adoption as sons, right? You know, like just so just thinking that, letting that kind of soak over you. Um and, you know, through the Messiah, right, like in Ephesians 5, we haven't gotten to it yet, 2.19. Uh, again, it's also in Galatians 4, 5 through 7, Romans 8, 15 through 16. There's this idea of us, you know, being adopted, uh, getting grafted into this family through the Messiah, this blessing now transferred to all the nations. Uh, but primarily, originally, it was for, you know, God's family through Abraham. This is another cool one. Redemption through blood, the forgiveness of sins, right? Instantly we think the cross and you're not wrong to be thinking that. Uh, but anyone who has taken a Hebrew Bible 101 knows that when you hear phrases that remind you of things that maybe have happened before, you might want to go back. Uh, so a good study Bible, like I have my, my NIV, you know, here, right? This is technically considered a study Bible. I don't know if you guys can see it, but in the center, it has scripture references. Now, these are great. The problem is, is like they never catch all of them. They never catch enough of them because sometimes it's just these little phrases, these little like words that have kind of been thrown together that are supposed to clue us in, right? So here we have redemption through blood, the forgiveness of sins. What should we be thinking? We should be thinking the Passover, right? We should be thinking, and the Passover should remind us of the Exodus. So Paul is trying to turn on some switches here, right? Make us remember, think back to the Exodus story. Think about to all that stuff. Um, and if you go to, you know, you can kind of look in all these scriptures and you can kind of trace this idea of the Exodus, right? Uh, Israel and Egypt, right? 
God was going to judge the gods of Egypt, right? Egypt was going to know who Yahweh was, who God was, right? And Ezekiel, a big theme in Ezekiel, actually wrote my paper on this, is that so the nations will know, right? You you go into the book of Ezekiel thinking, okay, this is this is prophetic literature uh, from Israel, from Judah. So this is going to be all about Judah. And it is, a lot of it is, it really all is. Uh, but there's this, there's this undercurrent that Babylon is going to know. Babylon is going to know me. The nations of the earth are going to know me. Through Israel getting decreated, right? The rest of the nations are going to get decreated. There's going to be tragedy for everybody. No one's going to survive. We're going to be talking about this a little bit later, about the day of the Lord, right? They, the prophets kind of pick this up. Uh, but through that comes this tremendous blessing when the new temple comes at the end of Ezekiel and the back part of Ezekiel, it's going to be a blessing for everyone. It's going to be a blessing for the nations as well. Um, the prophets again, pick this up uh, again, when, while they're in act, exile, there's going to be another Exodus from Babylon that they talk about in Isaiah, Hosea, new Exodus, forgiveness of sins, Jeremiah. We get this concept of, this exodus is going to somehow forgive the sin of the people, right? And the cool thing, which this is like, most people aren't aware of this. I want to slow down and look at this because I think this is cool. If you go to Luke chapter 9, and this is uh, Luke's version of what's commonly referred to as the transfiguration. Luke 9. In verse 31. See if it has it in my NIV. Uh, no, it hasn't. Okay, appearing. So basically, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure. And that word departure is actually the word for exodus. So if you went to your, your handy ESV, I like the ESV. I feel like the new American Bible is like better at, uh, you know, uncovering some of those words. Um, but there is a footnote in the ESV, I believe, where it, you know, it shows you that word departure is exodus. So they're actually talking about Jesus's exodus. So, you know, the, the writer of Luke is trying to clue you in here of this theme. And this is like, it's really cool because, you know, Paul's letters were written before there were gospels, right? Luke is probably one of the later wants to be written. And he, even like Paul is like, he's jiving with this. He's understanding that like, you know, there is an, a new exodus going on. This is something that we've been waiting for. Uh, there's this idea of abundant provision of wisdom and knowledge, right? Can You can find that if you're following along with your, your sentence diagram. Uh, so, you know, Paul wants this abundant provision of wisdom and knowledge. And, you know, you can trace the theme of wisdom and knowledge. These are things that should clue you in Adam and Eve, right? In the garden, they, they wanted that knowledge. They wanted a knowledge of good and evil, right? Joseph, Joseph was said to be, you know, very knowledgeable. He can interpret dreams. He could uncover what was hidden. Torah, Torah is seen as wisdom literature, something that you're supposed to meditate on day and night. The son of David, right, was going to be someone who was going to you know, be meditating on this. Psalms 1 and 2, looking for someone like David, looking for the king, right? The seed, right? The seed that was promised was going to be this, you know, this, this messianic-like figure 
like David, who is going to meditate on the Torah uh, day and night and, and have wisdom. And eventually this theme is, you know, replayed in, you know, first Corinthians when, in Paul's writings. So Paul is tracking not only here with this in Ephesians, uh, but that, you know, meditating on this can, you know, give you all this wisdom and knowledge. And it's, it's one of those things that there's always more layers to it. There's always more layers to it. You think you kind of hit the end. You feel like you've hit the bottom. You haven't, you haven't even come close. Right. And this idea of heaven and earth, right? Jesus being enthroned, Jesus being enthroned uh, for the, you look at the purpose of arranging the fullness of the times to head up all things together in Messiah, things in heaven and things in earth in him, right? So God's plan to unite heaven and earth, uh, you know, right there on page one in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, all the vast array, you know, and at the end in Revelation, right, the city is coming down from heaven to earth. You're getting that uniting when Jesus returns of heaven and earth. We'll get to that later. I don't want to spoil anything. Uh, hopefully we get to it later. Uh, these things always tend to take longer than I think they are in my head. Um, yeah. You know, he talks about it here. This is, this is Jesus' story. Jesus is the climax to the entire universe. Jesus is bringing everything together. Uh, humanity was made to rule, right? Opening pages of Genesis. They were, they were meant to rule from a heavenly, an heaven and earth-like space. Right. Eden was a place where heaven and earth came together. They walked there with God in the garden. Right. They were they were in this idyllic space where heaven and earth overlapped. They were meant to go out and subdue the earth. Right. Just like how God had, you know, brought a universe out of the chaos. Right. God's spirit hovering over the waters. We were meant to do the same thing. It didn't work. Right. And then this hope that it was still going to come. This blessing was still going to come. God blessed the humans in the garden. They lost that blessing. God, you know, was going to attach that blessing to Israel. Didn't go well, right? It was a tragedy, um, but attached somehow to the line of David. And, you know, this was going to, this was going to somehow pass this blessing on to the nations. So Jesus is the climax of this whole thing, you know? So there's something you have to remember as you go through this, you know, this stuff is very, very dense. And like I said in the beginning, I kind of want to, I do want to rob us of the, you know, the ability just to feel like I can pick up Paul. I can pick up my new Testament. I have a few points I want to hit, you know, and I can just take a few verses from here, a few verses from there and kind of construct it together with my get my point. Now, I mean, you can do that. And I, I you know, I know people do do that, but you're, you're not, you're not loving Paul as you would love yourself. You're not being a good neighbor to Paul when you do that, right? Because Paul has a specific thing here that he's trying to get to, you know, to head up all things, you know, the cosmos has been shattered and broken and needs to be unified and brought into harmony, made one unified together. Think about all the times in Ephesians, you know, Paul brings up that word, People bringing together, people coming together, made one, right? Christ is the one in whom God chose to sum up the entire cosmos, entire human story, right? Harmony and unity. Jesus as the Messiah is the ultimate human, right? And this is something I love to point out. Uh, you know, Paul's favorite word for Jesus was Christ. Almost like we think, you know, 
that was Jesus's last name, like Jesus H B Christ, you know, but you know, it wasn't, it was a title, right? But Jesus's favorite term for himself was the son of man, right? Or the truly human one. This is like language from the, the prophets like Daniel, right? The son of man. Um, yeah. So he was like the ultimate human. He redeemed humanity from sin, right? It's right here in Ephesians 7 and 14 in chapter 1. Uh, in faith, we're going to get to that in chapter 2, you know, join this life-giving power. If, if you've seen, if you've read through the entire letter, hopefully you've been doing that, you know, more than once as we go through this process. And, you know, even if just casually, if you wanted to count up how many times the term in Christ appears in the letter, it appears like over 20 times, I think depending on translation, when I did this uh, for the new American, it was like 27 times, um, you know, but this is, this is a lot. So there's this concept in Christ uh, that, you know, it's, it seems to be important. It somehow unifies everything, right? You know, this is like the main theme of like, you know, Paul's apocalypse that he's trying to describe to us. He's like, you don't understand. It looks like everything is shattered. It looks like everything's broken, but no, in Christ, Jesus has really brought everything together. He's brought together things in heaven, right? And we talked about this with the dual kind of definition of the term holy ones. In the, in the beginning, when we were kind of going through this. We started our part one of Ephesians, right? Think these spiritual beings, holy ones could be spiritual beings, right? So bring together things in heaven, powers and spiritual beings in rebellion, right? That they were now defeated by Jesus, right? Creation of new humanity in Jesus points towards their subjugation. We're going to get to that in chapter three. Uh, these powers and spiritual beings are still in rebellion. When we talk about a response to the apocalypse. We'll get to that in chapter six. And they need to be resisted with God's power. Remember, the, the battle is never against flesh and blood. So he's united things in heaven, these rebellious spiritual beings or powers, and things on earth, right? Human, in the human realm, where there's exile and death ruling, right? Exile is a form of death. You know, you can see it when they're exiled to the garden. God said, in the day you eat of this, you will surely die. And then he exiles them. And some people said, hey, God lied. No, it's the same thing in the biblical story. Exile is a form of death. Uh, reconciled to God in him, reconciled to each other, Jew and Gentile are now unified and these strange little communities that he calls ecclesia, right? That they kind of took that on to be their identity. Yeah, that's what we are. We're the assembly. We're the assembly of God. We're the, we're the assembly of the way. In him, uh, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. Remember the we in verses 3 to 12. Israel-centric. Jewish-centric. We don't, ex we don't come around until verse 13. And then in verse 14... They're, they're, they're we again. It's together, right? And this is really cool. Again, Paul, some of the earliest Christian writings that we have, this again tracks with the book of Acts, right? The spirit being poured out first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. And, and you know, you have to, I always like to think about the contrast. When we think of the end of Paul's story, I think most Christians think, oh, the end of Paul's story is that he was martyred, right? He, he had his head chopped off because that was the appropriate death for a Roman citizen, right? And that comes to us 
from church tradition. And I'm not saying necessarily that's wrong. That's a very old, uh, you know, story. But if you look at the way the writer of Acts, Luke, chose to end his story, right? The end of his story is under Roman guard in his own house, and he's preaching the word of God. He's preaching this story to anyone who would listen, Rome, Romans, right, Greeks, and Jews. So the end of Paul's story in Acts is this unification. You have this whole long story as the Spirit was poured out, right, on the day of Pentecost, first to the Jew, then to the Greek. You have Paul. Paul comes, the perfect avatar, to bring this message, you know, to, to the nations, right? And it eventually culminates with him basically in the nations, with Jews around him, and he's like preaching this stuff. He's teaching this stuff day and night, right? Or you look at the end of Luke, the veil is torn, right? The dividing wall of hostility, the thing that separated Jews from Gentiles is torn in two. Uh, the response of the centurion to Jesus' death, truly this was the son of God. This idea of all nations and repentance and forgiveness of sins. If you go with me qu really quick, to Luke 24. And I always, again, I always say, once you finish the gospel of Luke, don't go to John, go right to Acts, because these are meant to be read side by side. If you go to Luke 24, verse 47, right? Then he opened their minds so they could understand, start in verse 45. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Where was this written? It was written somewhere, apparently, in the Hebrew Scriptures. This is where Jesus got it from. And repentance and forgiveness of sins were preached in his name to all nations. The passing of the blessing again, right, through Israel, through the chosen Messiah, and then out into the world, all nations. Uh, beginning at Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. So here he's like, he's transferring the blessing to them. He left them and was taken up to heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. So this, you know, it's, it's all connected. It's all connected. So no, I just threw a lot at you guys. We're going to slow it down for a second. Let's, let's talk about this. Um, so this concept of being in him, I think that's something that it's it's a very popular Christian term. We kind of throw it around a lot. What context do you think most people think when they when they throw around that term in Christ? What what do you think, Dave? Sorry about that. Uh no worries. What context do most Christians think of when hearing in him? Hmm. Yeah, did I throw too much at, at you here? Do we need to? You did throw a lot. Um, <laughs> what context do most Christians think when hearing "in Him"? Um, when you when you hear the word "in Him," what what do you what do you think? Through Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, so, when you know, uh, I have strength in Him. I guess uh, would be through Christ. Uh, my strength doesn't come from my own. Uh, being, but through through Christ, um, 
who's been given authority. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure how to answer that. Uh, cool. Think of when hearing in him. Yeah. Uh, oh. I would say probably in the way I've heard it mostly, uh, the way I, I was first exposed to it was the idea that my personal sins were forgiven in Christ. So like when God looks at me, he doesn't see my sins because he's, he's, he sees Jesus because I'm inside Jesus. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the interesting thing for me here is that like, you know, the story it seems like it's a little bit more richer you know, in, in Jesus or in Christ, it makes you part of the family of God. And then most of the new Testament is trying to figure out, well, if they're in the family of God, do, do we need to circumcise them? And do they need to obey all these dietary laws? Do they need to become ethnically Jewish? And Paul's horrified by that. He's like, no, they don't actually, you know, they, they're already made one in Christ all the families of the world, all the nations of the world together. Um, have you heard that context ever before? Yeah. Yeah. That in Christ, uh, especially when you mentioned the sin part, like uh, the, God doesn't see me. He sees Christ. Cause I'm like uh, cloaked in him. Like, uh, he's yeah. like somehow, you know, just surrounds me so that, my sin, my ugliness isn't isn't what's seen, isn't what's exposed. It's it's Christ, uh, and His perfection is what is what. Sh when somebody looks at me, or when God looks at me specifically, that's what He sees. Um, right. Yeah. So, but you know, when uh, when you talk about uh, what Paul's context is is here, uh, it you're right. It's it's bringing it's bringing the family together it's like the uh i don't know if i'm if i'm uh if i'm simplifying it but uh you adopt somebody into your family and well how is this possible how did you how were you able to well i have the adoption papers right here that say that <laughs> i was so that's you know that's how i was able to get you to be my child because uh, this this document right here um uh, makes it so yeah right uh and i think that that's paul's context there that it's it's christ makes it so yeah yeah that's good uh daniel makoku is uh watching from facebook he says um you know it's being in his kingdom or being part of his family and i, I think i think that's that's true you know that that resonates with me as true you know as i as i, I read through this and you know it's the thing that the thing that I like about it is, you know, it, it, it's very neat what Daniel's saying. It's very, very compact. Um, the thing I like to do for people and, you know, the thing that, that it's really been helpful for me is like unpacking what that means. Like, you know, cause I think, you know, 20% of our Bible is the new Testament and 80% of it is the old Testament. And we can feel like this disconnection. Well, what, what am I supposed to do with that? You know? And when Paul talks about the scriptures, you know, in Timothy, he talks about those will make you wise for salvation. That's, that's wisdom literature, you know, that's, and when Jesus talks about, you know, the majority of our Bibles, right. He's like, it's all about me. You know, everything in, in it was written about me, right. Right. On the road to Emmaus and Luke, that little Bible study he had with the two uh, disciples who were, you know, all sad because Jesus had just died. They didn't know that he had risen yet. So, you know, I like to 
to unpack that for people. Cause you know, I think that sometimes the way we use biblical words and biblical terms are different than the intended meaning from the authors. And like, what, what do you think about that, David? Do you think that, do you think that matters? You know, like, so, cause someone wrote something down, right. They had something to communicate. And then sometimes that message kind of gets lost somehow and it becomes, it becomes something else, right? The story of United Humanity kind of gets drilled down to heaven or hell, you know, like, what do you, what do you think? You know, it's, it reminds me of being in, in, uh, in English class and, uh, hmm. and reading, reading a, a poem, right, in, in class. And so then the professor would say, what, you know, what did the author mean? What do you guys think the author meant by this? And, uh, and sometimes you read the poem and it's beautiful words and you think, well, he was describing, you know, just a, a beautiful sunset, let's say something, some that effect. Uh, and then, you know, when, when you, when you read the author, what the author has said about his own poem, he's talking about the death of a loved one. And you're like, wow, that's, that's not at all what, what I was thinking. Um, so I, I think it's important because uh, it's not a poem. It's not just a poem, I should say. It's, it's uh, something that we're basing, basing our entire life and our existence on. So we want to get it right. We want to get what the author was saying to us or try to get as close to what the author is, is telling us. Otherwise, uh, we have uh, flawed... Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Flawed uh, ideology, hmm. and uh, and and we're thinking, yeah, we're doing it right. We're we're following God's will. Um, we're teaching God's word, but what are we teaching? If we don't understand what the author himself or themselves meant. What what are we teaching? Absolutely. I got I got a good one from Daniel. He said. Um, it has always been God's plan to unite all humanity and the Jews were supposed to be an example for us to follow. Uh, yeah, I like that. I like that. I, I think, um, you know, the case could have even been made, you know, this is kind of like a little bit of an aside, but, you know, a lot, a lot of times, you know, we love the story of Exodus. We love the story of Moses, you know, and we forget that that is actually part of a larger story, um, you know, where, you know, we're supposed to remember the beginning. So there were actually two pharaohs, right? In Genesis, there was Joseph's pharaoh and then there was Moses's pharaoh. And they both had an exodus of sorts to the Holy Land, right? But Joseph's pharaoh, you know, was was obedient to God, was, a, you know, listened to Joseph and went along with it. And it was like this, this almost like this magical parade of a celebration where Moses's pharaoh was very, very resistant but God somehow accomplished the whole thing of leading the nations out with Israel, right. With Pharaoh chasing them. And, you know, it ultimately led to Pharaoh's, his Pharaoh's destruction. But I, I think that, you know, that is, that's something that just to remember that God always accomplishes his purpose. Right. And, and there, there's this idea of the, the chosen or those who have been selected, they, they could follow along with God and they can be a part of the blessing or they, they could they, they could resist, but they're in 
the blessing is still going to happen. God's purpose is still going to happen sometimes despite us or just, you know, despite the Jews. Right. You know, but, you know, as, as, as uh, Paul talks about in Romans, there's, there's still hope. Like, you know, like Paul sees this all as coming together, you know, and I don't think Paul could have ever envisioned a version of what he was doing without the Jews, but here we are, you know, you know, we're, we'll talk about that actually a little bit, why that might be, um, you know, I, and yeah, so this is good stuff. Good thoughts, David. You have anything else you want to say about that or? No, no, I'm good. You're good. All right. So, all right, cool. So now we're going to close out Ephesians chapter one. This is our third part and we're getting <laughs> closing out chapter one. Now I told you guys we'd be moving more slowly uh, through the first couple of chapters just to establish some points. But uh, yes, um, I, I think I'm, I'm becoming that type of tour guide. That's like, okay, there's going to be some stuff that I'm going to point out along the way. And we're going to just like mention it. I'm like, no, 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 no. We're, we're, let, this is, this is too interesting. And like, we haven't even entered like the park yet. It feels like we're still, in the, <laughs> we're still in the parking lot. And I'm like, look at this flower. Look at this. Look at this. This is amazing. Look at this fossil. But uh, here we are. Here we are. So again, we have this diagram up again, uh, just, you know, to make sure you guys are tracking with us. This is one big giant chiasm. We're in, you know, B right here. Uh, there is another B, B prime later that we'll, we'll get to hopefully eventually. So we are looking, and if you're, you're looking at the chart, you know that we've just, we've just left a song or a poem of the father, son, and the spirit. And now we're going into Paul's prayer, right? And right in the opening lines, right, right in verse 115, he says, for this reason. So what reason is he talking about? He's basically talking about everything he said before. You know, I remember verses one through, I mean, sorry, three through 14, one big long run on sentence. And I do think to really understand Paul, you have to understand everything he writes is like, it's like one big massive thing. And he kind of expects you to like have it all. And I was actually just thinking about it today because I was taking another class on uh, Adam through Noah, right? Of just, you know, going through that. I'm like, where, where would Paul have gotten this type of writing style from, you know, and it's, he basically got it from the Hebrew scriptures because the Hebrew scriptures as well, anyone who's done any of these things with me before know that, you know, when you first learn how to read this stuff and get very, very overwhelming because yes, the authors expect you to have everything else. Like you're aware of it. So like when you get to, I just finished class on Ezekiel, like I, I keep talking about and like right in the opening lines, it clues you back to the end of Kings and the end of Kings is one big, pretty much unbroken narrative back from Genesis. So it's something like, yes, that these biblical authors and Paul as well, they expect you to be tracking the whole thing. Uh, you know, he hears of new Jesus communities. Let's, let's read it. Let's read it. For this reason, I heard of y'all's faith in the Lord Jesus. And the love which is toward all of the holy ones. I have not stopped giving thanks, making remembrance on you all's behalf in my prayers, in order that the God of our Lord Jesus, Messiah, the Father of glory, would give you all a spirit of wisdom and revelation in order to know him. The eyes of all your hearts having been illuminated, 
so that you all would know, and he wants him to know a few things. So these are things we have to track with. One, what is the hope of his calling? Two, what is the richness of his glory, of his inheritance among the holy ones? And three, verse 19, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards y'all who trust? In accordance with the working of the power of his might, which he worked in the Messiah, having raised him from the dead ones and having seated him at his right hand. In the heavenly realm, above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the coming one. And he placed all things under his feet and gave him headship over all things in the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all in all. So you read that and you're like, this is just immediately clear. We can, we can just, we can just stop this now and, and I'll go home. <laughs> I'll go to bed. Uh, and it's not right. Uh, it's not clear. It, it, you know, it takes a lot of unpacking. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of it. So he's giving thanks, right? That's the first thing he's doing. He's giving thanks. And what is he doing? If you look, if you look at that in verse 16, I have not stopped giving thanks, making remembrance on your all behalf in my prayers. So the first thing you want to be clued in here, right, is that when when he's doing this, it's kind of the way he's he's saying it, you want to think of Paul. Paul's placing himself in the role of a prophetic intercessor. Right? Think of Noah. Noah gets off the boat. What's the first thing he does? He makes a sacrifice. God smells the pleasing aroma. And God says, you know what? You guys aren't going to change. But I'm never going to do this again. And he makes a covenant with Noah. So Noah is an intercessor. He, he you know, makes this type of prayer offering. Moses, right? And the whole golden calf incident. Moses also was like this prophetic intercessor, right? Who offered his life, right? And God said, Thank you, but no, thank you. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna kill you. Um, you know, it, and it worked. Moses was able to intercede on the behalf of the people when God was gonna kill them all. Uh, Elijah, very similar. Elijah, you know, also is like this prophetic figure, almost like the anti-Moses. He goes to the same mountain Moses went to, where Moses offers his life for the people. Elijah offers his life to get away from the people. So you know, he's like, I can't deal with these people anymore. Just kill me. And God's like relax. Uh, I'm appointing your successor. Go and do it. Uh, and Jesus, Jesus is also this prophetic intercessor who, you know, like Moses, a Moses-like figure, kind of all of these figures from the Old Testament coming, kind of coming together. And he's the ultimate prophetic intercessor who gives his life. And, and Paul here is placing himself in that role of the prophetic intercessor. And we get to 1719. These three things, right, that Paul wants them to know, right? Father of glory, right? You should be thinking of the divine kavod. You should be thinking of the temple, God's glory filling the temple. This is temple language, right? When you have an apocalypse, right, like we talked about, you have this revelation. Uh, you know, these are these are frightening experiences. Like, you know, when, when the prophets encountered the very living God, right, this, is, this wasn't something where they started singing, Better one day in your courts, right? You know, like when it, when this happened to Ezekiel, he, he sat and he couldn't say anything for seven days, seven days because it was just it was so overwhelming. People fall down to the ground, right? So there's this is temple language that that's happening here. 
uh, divine wisdom and revelation. Paul wants you to have an apocalypse, heaven and earth overlapping, right? To know him, know who? Jesus, eyes of all of our hearts, all of y'all hearts illuminated, like this apocalyptic language to know. One, the hope of his calling, right? And we, we've kind of been tracking here. So in verse 15, for this reason, right? Kind of links us up here. You should be thinking about the whole story of Israel, everything that's come before. You should be thinking of the blessing being passed, right? From, you know, losing it initially, uh, Israel, God cho choosing Israel out from the many to eventually bless the many. That went horribly wrong. Jesus coming, fulfilling that story. That's his calling. Richness of the glory, the inheritance, right? When you think of inheritance, is there any, any time that God talks about inheritance in, in the Hebrew scriptures? Yeah, the promised land. Think Canaan, right? Among the holy ones, you know, Israel, spiritual beings. This is a new exodus, right? There's a new exodus going on. Uh, again, you know, think about, you know, talking about Jesus' departure in the gospel of Luke, right? We usually assume that, oh, that just means Jesus' death. And I'm not saying it, it, it didn't. But the word there is exodus. Somehow what Jesus was doing was some type of exodus. And he prays for power, right? This power is kind of like, you know, it's all over the place in the book of Ephesians. Power, power, power. To those who trust in him, raised him. And, you know, in most translations, it says from the dead. But it actually means from the dead ones, which is kind of like an interesting little twist on the whole thing. Uh, and then, you know, you, you get to the kind of climax of this whole prayer in one, chapter one, 20 to 23, talking about Jesus' enthronement. And you should be thinking Psalm 8. You should be thinking Psalm 110. You should be thinking Daniel 7, right? You should be thinking these things should be on the brain as we kind of go through this. Uh, you know, continues this Israel focus that we got from 3 through 14, Israel's Messiah, Israel and the nations. And then... It gets really, really interesting. Having raised him from the dead ones, I'm in verse 20 now, and having seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realm, above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. So again, we have this idea again of, of heaven and earth, and we have this idea, this curious idea of an, an age and an age to come, you know, and, and what, what, what that could mean. Right. And, you know, this is not a, a unique idea to Paul here in Ephesians. He talks about this in first Corinthians 10, 11, right. When he talks about the ends of the ages have come, uh, usually most Bibles translate that as the end of the age, but not some the ends of the ages and, and what that could mean. Um, so let's talk about that. Oh, I was not skipping through my slides. So David's probably like, where is he? Where is he with this stuff? It's okay. Uh, David and everyone else who wants it, I have started a Mighty Networks page. Um, it's free. And I'm putting all of my slides and a whole bunch of other goodies and uh, my notes. I have, you know, detailed notes that I keep for all this stuff up there. So, if, you know, if, if you ever like want to go back to it, you can look at, all, all I need is, you know, hey, you want it, and then I can send you an invite. Uh, if I have your number, I can send it directly to your number. 
If I don't, if we're just Facebook friends, that's fine as well. You can DM me. And uh, that means d- direct message. You know, I'm, I'm hip. I know what that means uh, for all of you guys who don't know. So we have this idea of this age and the age to come. And this isn't a Christian idea. This isn't even a Paul idea. This is a Bible idea. Okay. And I took these series of drawings uh, from a class I took uh, with Tim Mackey. So this, this is from the Bible Project and all, all their wonderful stuff as well. I will link you their class as well. They go much more in depth than, than we're going to have time to do uh, into these things. Uh, so you have this age and the age to come. This age is kind of categorized by evil, sin, right? Death, uh, slavery, slavery to the powers, as Paul is going to talk about uh, in chapter two. Uh, violence, fill the world with violence and under a curse, right? God cursed the ground. So there's, there's like a curse. And then the age to come, kind of like what the prophets kind of pick up on is justice, divine justice, love. There's going to be life. There's going to be freedom. There's going to be shalom or rest, right? Think about all the Sabbath language in the Hebrew scriptures and blessing. We've already traced the blessing probably, probably too much, but you know, it's, there's going to be blessing, right? And then there's this concept that's kind of taken up by the prophets of this thing called the day of the Lord, where God is finally going to make everything right. And there's going to, there's even going to be a concept of resurrection in some of the, the prophets where anyone who suffered, you know, but were, was righteous, they're going to be raised from the dead, right? There's going to be this resurrection. Um, and this, this was, you know, pretty clear in the scriptures. I mean, maybe not like super clear, um, but you know, it's, it's pretty clear. It's there. You can get this. Uh, the rabbis talk about this a lot, you know, this age and the age to come. Uh, you know, and so this was expected to be something that it was going to ha- come, it was going to happen, and it was going to be instant. There was going to be an instant before and an instant after. Uh, and I remember talking once to to a, a Jewish rabbi about why he didn't believe in Jesus. You know, it's like, oh, we have like the same, we have, you know, we have most of the same stuff, right? And he was like, well, because, you know, all this stuff in the age to come hasn't hasn't happened yet, you know, like. there's still death. There's still all this injustice. There's still all this violence that's happening. How could you say that the Messiah has come, you know, because clearly he hasn't, because if he had, we'd be in the age to come. We'd be in the messianic age. This is also referred to. And, uh, you know, things, things would be great. Uh, But what Paul began to realize and what Paul encountered that something different had sort of, taken place right and that basically when jesus died was buried and resurrected and ascended right depending on your tradition uh that that was like a little bit of new creation or the age to come coming into this age so the age to come had come but it didn't immediately swallow everything up there wasn't a hard fast transition point it was like jesus and his resurrected body was a little bit of new creation. And when Jesus returns, when he comes back, then everything is going to be, you know, made new. Uh, and so, you know, people talk about this in, in terms of like inauguration and consummation, which, uh, you know, I agree that that that's a weird, it's a weird word. It's not something that you would use in normal life, but I think it is, you know, useful when you think of something being inaugurated, it's being announced, right? So it's like 
this new age has been announced and it's going to be brought into fulfillment uh, when Jesus returns. Or, you know, another way of saying this is the now and the not yet. You know, and so we kind of, we're kind of building up our worldview here. And another way of saying this would be earth. You know, earth is where all this terrible stuff happens and you have heaven we we have this possibility for all this great stuff and somehow heaven and earth are going to be coming together again under Jesus. And it's, it's so stinking cool. Cause it's right here, right. In Paul's, in Paul's prayer, this is what he's praying for us to see, to have an apocalypse of is that it's, this has already happened and it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> you know, like Jesus Jesus has new creation has come at last in Jesus' body. We're being invited to, you know, have a take part in that, to, to have a, you know, part of that story. But it also hasn't happened yet in terms of like everything being made correct, everything being made right. And so you can kind of see Jesus up here. That's Jesus up there kind of being enthroned above heaven and earth and you know, inviting us to all these things. So just to close this out here, I know we're reaching the end of our time together. Uh, so, you know, for me, all this stuff is, is very, it's very useful. You know, it's very useful to think of, okay, the now and the not yet, this age and the age to come. I'm being invited to take part in this new creation. The way I live my life is an opportunity to bring heaven and earth together and create some of these, these types of places here in my own life and the lives of those around me. So thoughts, David, what do you think? Is this, is this something that's new to you? Have you ever seen anything this before? Uh, again, uh, I've been deal I've been <laughs> working in, in this space for, sure. for a little over a year. Um, so yeah, I, I have seen it before, but as, as you were talking, I, I was thinking, why is this such a, um, difficult concept hmm. to, to explain or, or maybe I'm just not, I'm just not explaining it right. But it's funny to me that when, when you read this concept of it, it's, ha it, it's happened, but it hasn't happened yet. Uh, it, trying to explain it to to people who love revelations hmm. and and they say things uh like well you know the 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 beast has already been defeated but we're still fighting the battle so if you if you can get that concept yeah <laughs> then why is this concept so 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 difficult it it, it seems like it's pretty close in, in concept to me um and and what it does is, to me, it it shifts the a responsibility. Where if if I'm looking at it as as long as I live my life, I'm either you know just going to go to heaven or or hell. I can just wait it out, right? Right. So, okay. Yeah. So I'm 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 a Christian. I'm, I'm I'm my name is on the roll. All that uh, all that terminology that we use, and so now I just got to hunker down and wait. Uh, and let it all wash over, let all, you know, all sort itself out. And at the end, spring up. Here I am. I was hiding in the cut. Uh, and now I'm ready, ready to go to heaven. But when you look at this concept or how, how you um, threw it out there, 
it to me it shifts responsibility that it's 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 we're God's people if we're um it's our job to bring more heaven into earth. It's our job to bring more of the age to come into the age that, that we're living in now. Uh, and that doesn't happen by just, you know, separating ourselves from the world or, uh, or this age. It, it, it happens by um, making it better, making the space that we're in now better, more heaven-like. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, I think, I think that's true. I remember, um, you know, when I was a teenager, I became an atheist uh, for, for a little bit. And uh, I remember talking to a priest about it and being like, this is just so selfish. Like all you care about is like where we go when we die. Like, like what about now? I want to make the world a better place now. How do I do that? <laughs> you know? And, um, uh, I think, you know, had I known this, th this is very appealing. I, I think you don't have to be a Christian or to, to want what's kind of like outlined in the age to come. I think everybody wants that. Everybody wants these things. Everybody wants to see that happen in their lives uh, in the lives of those around them, you know, but it's just, it's not, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it, it's not. And so the idea of, you know, Jesus kind of inaugurated this new age, this new reality, this new way of living, this new way of existing. And that, you know, until he comes back, we get a, we get a chance to push some of that forward, you know, until he comes back and he, you know, reunites heaven and earth, all things are made new, all that fun stuff. Uh, it's very interesting. Um, what do you think about like, you know, the other version? Cause I, I'm kind of on the fence of it. Like, you know, um, uh, when I was in a class with, uh, you know, I, I got a lot of this stuff from Ephesians from the Bible project. I was in a class with, with, uh, Tim and he was talking about how, like, you know, this stuff, you know, deconstruction can kind of be a dirty word. Pete and kind of had a really cool podcast on this as well. Uh, and it's very, like, it can feel very disruptive and very damaging to people. So in his, in his view, he's like, you know, I kind of just like to put, put it on the table. Here's the new thing. Don't call attention to the deconstruction nature of it and just discuss it. But to me, it's like, you know, like, I think I kind of got some of this language from N.T. Wright. This idea of, you know, heaven and hell, uh, I, I kind of feel like it, it could be a, a dangerous idea or like, you know, harmful, especially when you're seeing the, bib the biblical story. Uh, what, what do you think? I, I think the harm, um, the harm comes uh two parts one it, it, it takes the responsibility to me it takes away responsibility if, if you start thinking of the heaven and hell like i mentioned earlier like well yeah i just, I just wait it out but uh then it, it becomes i think the danger it becomes when it becomes a selection process and you start um you start saying well these guys are in and these guys are out or i'm in mm. and they're out uh and then that leads to judgment and and we see in our society, you know, even when I when I when I go around my day and I and I'm I, people ask me about God or people know that I'm you know a devout Christian, so they'll ask me questions, and I I feel like I spend more of my time when I'm talking about faith or I'm talking about God, 
uh, apologize, not maybe not apologizing, but trying to trying to say that what what they think Christianity is isn't necessarily what real Christianity is supposed to look like. To mm. them, the, the idea of Christianity is very judgmental. It's very, um, uh, it's it's condemning. It's uh, it's the people who are, and I don't want to get political, but the people who are, you know, protesting other people and and uh, damning other people or calling other people damned, and etc. Um, and I and I have to, I have to you know, go through the process of saying, well, where, where does it say that that's what we're supposed to do? Uh, you know, you, you're hearing a, a group of people who have an idea, um, not necessarily what the Bible is, is saying. So I think that's when it becomes dangerous. It's, it's harmful. It's harmful when you start trying to decide who, who's in and who's out. Hmm. And, uh, and even, even when, when, when you even, and that's exactly what uh, what uh, you know the scriptures say not to do. It's it's exactly when when Paul is trying to explain to uh, the Jews who believe just that hey these are your new brothers and they're like oh no they're not really because they're not they're not uh, uh, circumcised or they're not following this law and he says no we're all <laughs> we're all part of the same family. Yeah. Well, it's like. We say, yeah, those those guys are, you know, how messed up are they? But we're going to turn around and do the exact same thing because those people over there aren't exactly like us um, in the way that they live their life. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, that's well said, and I think uh, you know, I think Paul would, would agree with you. It's, uh, you know, it's it's not about who's in and who's out anymore. That that's the whole point of the Messiah. You know, the now and not yet. It's, you know, no, we're, we're all, we're all together. We're all part of Abraham's family. We're all part of the blessing. Uh, and, and we're not, <laughs> we're both resurrected, right? Beings and, and, and not like, you know, we, we are, and, and we're not, you know? So I think that that's really cool. Uh, so we are at the end of our time for today. Dave, thank you so much for, uh, you know, I feel like you co-hosted this with me today. Hey, I'm going to add that to my resume. Yeah, I'm going to put you today as the co-host. The co-host, David Salazar. Co-host. <laughs> yeah, we got, we got to get you on again now. You got to do like a guest co-host or something for, for our regular podcast one of these days. You have, you have, you have good answers, good questions. Uh, and thank you. Appreciate your time you. and you being here. Uh, thanks to all you guys in the chat that, you know, showed up and, uh, you know, got some good contributions here. We will be back next week. Uh, next Sunday, same time for our Ephesians part four, where we're finally getting to chapter two. I really thought we were actually would be in chapter four for part four, but who was I kidding? Uh, this stuff always takes <laughs> way longer than I think it's going to take. All right, guys. Uh, until next time, adios, muchachos, and muchitos. Hopefully, Patty will edit that out. See you later, guys. <laughs>